Welcome to the Vineyard Cleveland podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For further information and other resources, please visit vineyardcleveland.org. So today is about stewardship uh, uh, in a way of life. We're in the middle of a series. We're the third uh, message into when Jesus is Lord. And we're talking about the lordship of Jesus. Um, the first week we talked about um, just a general message on how, it, uh, how Jesus is Lord and what that means in our lives generally. And the second week, last week, we talked about family. All of these different areas of our lives, Jesus wants to be Lord of our lives. If we say that he's Lord, um, we live that he is Lord, it means there's an implied yes in our hearts to anything that he asks of us to be and to do in our lives. And so we have these different big areas of our lives, and family is one of those. We'll go on to talk about community. What does it mean to... um, to say Jesus is Lord of our church, Lord of our community. It's, it's his church. It's his community that he's forming. And we'll go on to talk about things like work. What does it look like when Jesus is Lord of our workplace and our, our time at work and, and creation as well? What does it mean that Jesus is Lord of creation? You know, we don't talk about that a whole lot. How do we care for the environment that God's placed us in, whether it's an urban environment in the city or a rural environment in the country or wherever? How do we care for the environment? So today, if you're new with us or you're joining us online, you may have the uh, tendency, the default mode to be like, ah, they're talking about money. Here's another church talking about money. Well, um, I'm sorry, uh, but, but we're going to talk about it today. And here's, here's what we're going to talk about, stewardship and money, the way that Jesus sees things when it comes to money. We're going to talk about some of the most fundamental things, and Jesus talks about money a lot. The Bible talks about money a lot. And if the Bible mentions money a lot, we can be sure that it's pretty important to God. And so it should be pretty significant to us, too. You say, tell me something I don't know, (laughs) whether you have a lot of it or not as much of it. It's a significant thing in our lives. And so we're going to talk about it this morning and what what it looks like to say Jesus is Lord over our finances and what that implies on our part and what that says about God's character and who he is. And so I went and talked to a few of my friends this week and asked them a few questions. And I really loved what one of my friends said about finances and about whose money it really is. My friend, she said this, she said, Jesus didn't start to be Lord of our finances until we decided to tithe. That was our first step and most difficult step. It really boiled down to trusting him with our money. But that was a, the first problem was that thinking that the money was ours to begin with. Things changed when we realized it was all his to begin with. When we started tithing, we were living paycheck to paycheck, no money, zero cents left after the next paycheck, no vacations, nothing extra. We had to trust that he is faithful and that the money was all his. 
I love this part. From the moment we started to tithe, we have never looked back. Even when unexpected financial circumstances happened, it was never an option to not tithe and use our tithe money to pay for the financial need. He is faithful and trustworthy because we trusted him with our finances by being faithful to tithing. We could pay every bill we had. It was a miracle because our math, I love it, because our math was not the same as his math where we shouldn't have had enough money in our account, we always had what we needed. Another friend I spoke with uh, this week said, it's like the bills always get paid. There always seems to be enough at the end of the month. And my friend is not particularly well off or wealthy. She just says, hey, when, when I started practicing giving, tithing, consistent tithing, It just seems like there's this correlation between always having enough at the end of the month. Really interesting. We'll get into that a little bit deeper here as we go forward. So why do we even need to talk about this? The simplest uh, answer is because God talks about it a lot. As we said, it's mentioned in the Bible loads and loads of time. And it's uh, in a way that is clear that he wants us to talk about it too. Did anybody grow up in a house where we don't talk, money was kind of like, hush, hush, we don't talk about it? Is that one familiar? In the church, in God's economy, we talk about it. He talks about it a lot. We're open with finances. We're transparent. And God wants us to talk about these things as well. It's important to him. In the book of Titus, in the third chapter, three through eight, we read this. At one time, we were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. That sure sounds like me before Jesus became Lord. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying. And I want you to uh, stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. And this is the key where he says here in Titus 3, these things are excellent and profitable for everyone. I believe that. I believe that these things that we're going to discuss this morning are excellent and profitable for everybody here this morning, including myself. I believe that when Jesus is Lord, when he's really Lord, I'm required to devote myself to these things, not because I'm a pastor, but because I'm a committed follower of Jesus. And if you're a totally devoted follower to Jesus, you are too. You know, these rules, no one's exempt from these things. I believe when Jesus is Lord, I'm required to acknowledge that God owns everything. Like my friend said, it's not ours. He owns everything and he he properly has the final say over everything. When Jesus is Lord, it's my responsibility to discover his will and to do it. I believe that anything short of that is rebellion. And God says in his word that he hates rebellion. 
I'm in rebellion. Anytime I do not totally heed God's authority, I know he has instructed me to do. Watchman Nee, a wonderful uh, author, says this in his book, Spiritual Authority. He says that to offend the authority of God, the lordship of Jesus, is a sin more grievous than to offend his holiness. It's, It's bad. I believe that. I believe the word of God is true and that tells me what God wants me to do. When Jesus is Lord, I believe I'm obligated to learn it and respond with my yes. Say yes to him. And if Jesus is your Lord, so are you. In 1 Thessalonians 2.13, we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as actually is the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. We are among those who believe. We've been talking about for a while the practical consequences of of Jesus being Lord. And we've been saying, we've been tossing around this word um, stewardship. What does it mean to be stewards of our families? Whatever that looks like for you, the definition of family for you. Stewardship of our finances today, stewardship of the environment, of uh, community, of creation. We're required to have the attitude, the character, the humility of a steward. We're required to know what stewards can and cannot do. When Jesus is Lord, we're required to heed those instructions. God wants us to not just do the right thing, but to do the right thing for the right reasons. Did you get that? It's pretty, that's a key thing to grab hold of with our hearts today, that he doesn't just want us to do the right thing but he wants us to do the right thing for the right reasons. Second Corinthians, Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 11. He says that God loves a cheerful giver. And do you know that God loves a cheerful giver so much that he gives the generous even more so that they can be even more generous? Doesn't that say volumes about the heart of God? I love that, that he gives the generous more so that he can be even more generous to them. Look, I've been a Christian for well over 20 years, and I've heard tons of sermons on giving, and especially on tithing. And perhaps you have too. Over the course of your journey with Christ, you've heard a lot of sermons on giving. And sometimes, They're by well-intentioned pastors, and other times they're by not-so-well-intentioned pastors, and they've muddied the waters a little bit for you. What I've discovered is that some believers have a pretty good handle on this topic, but many have uh, not a good understanding or clarity on the topic of tithing and giving. So we want to bring clarity this morning where the waters have been muddied a little bit. And we're going to do that by sharing some wisdom and, and reason as God has expressed those things in his word. And first, I want to dispel any misunderstandings on why we're sharing about tithing this morning. Any misunderstandings, because there are many 
many misunderstandings to choose from. The first one is that God is not poor. He doesn't covet your stuff. God's not like your jealous neighbor. He doesn't covet your stuff. He doesn't need to get deeper into your pocket. God owns everything. Two, the church isn't going broke. We're not going broke. Our ability to accomplish the things that he wants us to do is limited when the funds that God intended for the church are withheld, but we're in the black. The church isn't going broke. Let's just take a deep breath. (laughs) Thirdly, I'm not talking about this so I can get paid more. God takes care of me and my family. Plenty of other ways to earn money. We'll be just fine. Not talking about this to get more money for myself. Fourthly and lastly, no one is being targeted this morning. Whether in the room or whether you're viewing online, no one's being singled out. I'm not pouring over the giving records and deciding that some of you just needed to hear this this morning. That's not where I'm coming from. So if you happen to be feeling guilty this morning because we're talking about tithing, all the pe- out of all the other people in the room, I targeted you, but rather more likely, more than likely, the reason is you're feeling guilty is because the Holy Spirit is bringing conviction and nothing to do with me. The reason I'm talking about this this morning is because it's a prominent part of the Word of God, and God wants us to know this stuff and put it into practice. So God has given our church a mandate, has he not? We are a church called to bring life to the city. That's our vision. That's our mandate. He's what he's called us to do, and he's going to give us the funds to pay for everything Every single thing that he's called us to be and to do in the city. I believe that. Our church, any church, would be able to do so much more if the majority of those funds weren't being diverted from what God intended. As a church, as individuals, sons and daughters of God, we all need to grow in Christ. This is part of the process of becoming more mature, more complete, following Jesus more closely. And I wanted to share with you a story this morning of a little buddy of mine who impacted me in a powerful, powerful way about a month or two ago. God's going to give our church everything that he intends to give to us. We'll have everything that we need. A few months back, I was sweating financial things hardcore, you guys. As many of you know, our associate pastor um, received a job offer in uh, Delaware County in Ohio over the summer, and he oversaw our accounting, our books, uh, with the help of a third-party accounting firm, Ministry Consulting Group, and uh, Vineyard Pastor Jerry Stevens, who's a gifted CPA and has just done wonders uh, bringing our books to account and keeping them above um, where they need to be in integrity and character. But Jerry had been helping out um, our associate pastor. So when our associate pastor left, it fell on me to sort of be a liaison between our third-party accounting group and our church. And there was counsel from God that this would be good for me. (laughs) And I said it like that for a reason. This is going to be good for you, Evan. 
It'll help you engage more with the the day-to-day of how things work financially here at the church. And it has been. It really has been. So, as any of you know who have been office managers or have dealt with accounting or who are nervous about finances, about a month in, you start seeing patterns. And those patterns inform the way that you feel and your emotions. And so, so about a month in, you could tell my, Sarah was like, you're jittering all the time and you're not drinking coffee. Are you anxious? And I said, yes, I'm anxious. Just anxious, anxious, anxious. I'd let an anxiety take a hold in my heart about how it related to our church and where we were uh, able to go. And if even the church would be all right, would we even be able to keep our doors open? And so around about, I don't know, September or something, it was a few months back, um, I was helping uh, our, our wonderful office volunteer who processes tithes and offerings. And I was bringing back all of the envelopes to the office to sort them and get them ready on Monday. And just nervous wreck. Are we going to have enough this week? What are we even going to be able to keep our doors open? And there was a little, and I've asked his parents if I could share this story. It's just beautiful, you guys. Um, And there was this envelope, and it had little kid writing on it. You know little kid writing, right? And um, there was a whole bunch of change in the envelope, (laughs) like pennies and dimes and quarters and ones. And, you know, it had his name on it. And then it said something, I forget what it exactly said, but it said something like, Jesus, here's my allowance. You guys, it was $7.50. And I, and I looked at the envelope and I just started weeping there at the desk. I just broke down and God met me in that moment. And what I'm sure the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart in that moment was like, like he said, He said, Evan, this is the way I want every person at Vineyard Cleveland to be. Like a child saying, Jesus, here's my allowance. And it was a big give for this little boy. And his dad told me, you want to know why it was such a big give? And I said, why? He said, well, at our old church, they received an offering from the kids. Start them young, you know. And so since coming to Cleveland, this little boy had not given his tithe. And so this little boy taught me something about what it means to be mature in the Lord. He just couldn't take it anymore. He said, I gotta give, I gotta give. He wanted to be faithful and he wanted to say yes to Jesus. And so he gave it all of that that had been kept since they had moved to Cleveland, he gave. And the Holy Spirit said, Eben, this is what I want Vineyard Cleveland to be. Jesus, here's my allowance. Belongs to you. So like I said earlier, we want to bring clarity to this subject. And Christians need to be clear about this for several different reasons. The first of which is that it's an issue of basic personal discipleship. We're called to be disciples of Jesus to learn his ways. And disciples are those folks who have learned certain disciplines 
apprentices. We are called to be apprentices of Jesus to learn his ways. And in the same way, a Christian is expected to exercise discipline in their devotional Bible study and prayer. We hold that. Hey, get in the word. Pray, pray, pray. Finances have the same expectation. It's part of being a disciple of Jesus is to be disciplined in our giving. Why? Just as it's your best interest, in your best interest to spend time with God in prayer and in his word, it's also in your best interest for you to give joyously and generously. God knows it infinitely, that it's infinitely better for you to do this than to not do this. Right? And just... Just a rhetorical question here. Hasn't God been right about everything else? He's been right about every other single thing. And so the first and most important reason I'm talking about this is that I want to see each of us, every single one of us, grow up in the Lord and come under his favor. Or I should say, to grow down and be like my friend and become like a child as it relates to our finances and tithing. Just as an older brother or sister helps a younger, uh, younger sibling, so mature Christians help younger Christians. And the best teaching method is by example. We who disciple others have a responsibility to first be disciplined ourselves. We must be able to say, as Paul did in 1 Corinthians, follow me as I follow the example of Christ. Here's my plan for the remainder of the talk. We'll get you out of here quickly. Quickly, quickly. I'm going to lay out some of the basic truths about this important part of our walk of faith. And then I'll share the secret of how to be a joyous, generous giver. So there's a secret involved to it. Last Sunday I said, we're talking about giving next Sunday. There's going to be five people. Look at y'all. In a snowstorm, no less, to hear about money from a church. My goodness. Should I even be preaching this sermon at all? You guys are so committed. So committed. Okay, so basic truths about giving. What's a tithe? What is it? How does it differ from offerings? The word tithe means one-tenth. One-tenth. Not one-twelfth. One-tenth. A tithe is basically a gift of one-tenth of one's income. Scripture makes it clear that tithing is something God expects from every believer. Offerings, offerings are different. Their volunt- offerings are voluntary gifts given over and above the 10%. Is that clear? Let me give you an example to help clarify a little bit. I spoke with a friend of mine this week, and, and they, they gave me, this couple gave me the perfect example of how God uses tithes and offerings in their journey of following Jesus. These are people in our congregation, in our community, and I'm proud to call them my friends, humbled to call them my friends. And what happened in their journey, this was some time ago, years ago, was that um, this guy, one of his co-workers, one of his friends at work, got in a terrible car accident, ridiculous car accident. He almost died. 
He was on the verge of death. He was in hospital. He was in the hospital. Doctors were taking good care of him. And um, my friends were praying for him. And they just sensed that they knew that this, this family, this guy, uh, was not well off at all. And these medical bills were going to crush him. They were really going to crush him. Some of you can relate with this story. And so what they did, my friends, they, they got together and they prayed and they asked God, what do you want us to do? What do you want us to do? How can we be a blessing to this guy and his family, this coworker? And what they heard, what they sensed from God was that they were to pay, if not all, a huge portion of this guy's mortgage. Not just a one-time payment, but continuously pay. And I go, so did you do it? And they said, yeah. And I go, that must have been awkward. Like, how did that conversation go? Hey, can we pay your mortgage? Sure. And they said, well, things were different back then. <laughs> like, it's not like it is today. You don't have access to all these numbers and passwords and all those things. We just walked right into the branch of the bank and we said, hey, we want to pay for this guy's mortgage. They were, they, the bank tellers, you guys, they said, we're totally taken back. Why would anybody do this? And then that couple friend of mine got a chance to share the why. Because Jesus loves this guy. It's because Jesus and then they said after a couple, two, three times of walking in every month to this, the branch of this bank, it just became old hat. You know, the bank tellers, they were friends with the bank tellers. They're like, hey, they're here to pay this guy's mortgage again. This is a great example of an offering. They were giving, they were paying this guy's mortgage in a practical way, blessing this guy over and above what they were already tithing to the church that they were a part of. That's, the, that's an example of an offering, and I just love it. I love hearing stories like that. Because once you get the giving bug, you understand that it's truly a blessing to give. As Jesus said, in the most non-manipulative way that I can say it to you guys this morning, honestly, 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 it is a blessing to give as opposed to receiving. It's just like Jesus says. Okay, so why did he choose to ask this of us? Why does Jesus ask us to tithe? God could have simply chosen any means necessary to fund his church. You realize that? He could have, chosen, he could have put an oil well under each church property. Bam, paid for. But he didn't do that, did he? He didn't do it. And I think he chose this on purpose. In Psalm 50, he says, I have, here's what God says, I have no need of a bull from your stall or of goats from your pens, for every animal of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains and the creatures of the field are mine. I love this part. Here's what God says. If I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you. For the world is mine and all that's in it. Clear he, clearly, he doesn't need our money. God doesn't need our money. He chose this method because it demonstrates our reliance on him and our trust in him. He doesn't need for us to give. We do. We need to give. He could have chosen any amount. 
Why 10%? Why a tithe? It's absolutely genius. Check it out. 1%, we blow that on Starbucks. It's meaningless, right? 90% could have required 90%, but he doesn't need it. 10%, 10% though, 10% requires an act of faith and obedience and sheer joy on our part. How many agree that God hit a home run with this one? Genius. But there's more. It's a means of him working his grace in our lives. For that reason, I'm convinced that generous giving is his gift to us, not our gift to him. He works grace in our lives. In fact, I believe that giving is just as spiritual as every other gift, like faith, like uh, the gift of tongues, like prophetic words. The gift, the spiritual gift of giving works grace into our lives. And if you could extend this thought one step further, giving allows us to participate with him in working out his kingdom. His kingdom purposes for our lives, for, for, for our church, for the city, for this region, for the nation, for the world. It allows us to participate with the God of all creation. That's amazing. Think about, it's more than just keeping the, door, the church doors open at the end of the month, you guys. It's more than that. We're funding the preaching of the good news to the poor. Proclaiming freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. Releasing the oppressed and proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor. And even filling their bellies as well. Bellies and souls. Holistic. So giving is the seed that we plant in anticipation of God's great harvest of souls. How did it originate? The first mention is in Genesis 14 when Abram is paying a tithe to Melchizedek, the priest of God Most High. It then became an established part of worship. It's only later incorporated into the law in Leviticus 27.30 that Moses handed down to the people developing the nation of Israel. In Leviticus 27, he says, A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. It also, also shows up in the New Testament. Jesus talks about the tithe and he affirms it in Matthew 23, 23. He tells the teachers of the laws and the Pharisees that their tithe was good, but then he rebukes them for having failed to also observe justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Who should tithe? Who should tithe? The Bible makes no distinction among believers. All believers should tithe. It's not reserved for the old or for the young, for the well-off or the poor, the super spiritual or the spiritual newbie. It's for everybody. But what if I can't? You know, I'm often asked what to do when a person's financial situation won't permit paying a tithe. What do you do? You hear this a lot. I want you to hear from my friend what he said, and I think you'll be able to resonate with this. I sure do. Here's what he said about scarcity. This is really powerful. He, he attends our church. He, here's what he says. My personality bent, the way he's built, 
is to believe that the resources I have are not enough. So when I give, it's an act of faith in God that there will be enough. Yes, I believe we have experienced many physical blessings by giving, but the greater gift, the greater gift is that giving has opened my heart to generosity in the face of perceived scarcity. A demonstration of God's power in the here and the now. I love that. What if I can't? What if I can't? What if I can't tithe? I just want to acknowledge right here the sliding scale of where we all find ourselves financially. That our church is no different from any other church in America. There are some folks here this morning who do not give. Some folks watching online will never give. There are other folks who give, uh, but they give sporadically. You know, it's like once in a blue moon. There are other folks who give consistently, but they don't tithe. You know, they, they give 25, 25, 25, but it's not 10%. There are other folks here that tithe. They've committed themselves to the principle of the tithe, 10% of their income. And then there are still other folks here, or viewing online, who give extravagantly. They've heard from God. They're called to give 15. They're called to give 30% of their income. And they, and they discharge that. And so we're, we're uh, not unlike any other church in America. We're the same in that regard. But I just wanted to acknowledge that we're, we're different. We're all at different places in our journey of giving. And what this morning is all about is, is asking, what would it look like for you to take the next step for me? What would it look like for me to say, okay, for you, you may give sporadically, but you might not tithe. What would it look like for you to, cha- to be challenged by God? Because he's asking this of you to take the step and finally commit to giving 10% of your income and tithing as God's word requires you to do. Maybe you're tithing already and you're sensing God is calling you to be extravagant, but you don't know you can trust him. You don't know if you can trust him with that. What would it look like for you to go ahead and put, God says in his word, put me to the test and see if I will not open the floodgates of heaven before you. So this morning's all about, maybe you've never given. Maybe today is the first day that you'll give to God's mission through his church. Today's all about moving one step at a time, one step forward. Okay, so three practical steps to help when you say, I don't know, what if I can't? What if I can't tithe? One, evaluate your situation. If it's inconvenient, do it anyway. Do it anyway. Some of God's greatest blessings begin inconveniently. On the other hand, if you truly cannot tithe, go to step two. Step two, evaluate why your situation is so desperate and create a stewardship plan to fix it. 
The Bible has a great deal to say about how we handle our finances. It's in there for a reason. He's interested in us bringing this area of our life under his lordship and into his favor in every other area. As part of your own spiritual discipline, learn his ways and put them into practice. You will be blessed because of it. Thirdly, and lastly, begin doing what you can as soon as possible. And increase the amount as frequently as you can until you're paying your tithe. I couldn't afford to tithe until I started tithing. There was a tithe. I worked at confession time. You say, oh no, save it for Jesus. There was a time in my 20s, and Sarah and I were not doing super well, and we withheld our tithe. Oh, God took us to task. He sure took us to task. And what we've learned over the years, you know, my old pastor in Augusta, at the vineyard in Augusta, he would, he, he's one of the most fiscally sound dudes I know loves Jesus with his whole heart. And we'd have conversations sometimes. He'd be like, do you know, Evan, there are some pastors who don't tithe. Can you believe that? Robbing God at their own church. And know this morning that Sarah and I would not ask you to do anything that we're not already doing. And we've found, by the Lord taking us to task, that the floodgates are opened. And like my friend said earlier, there's always enough at the end of the month. Why is that? We're not wealthy people. But it's like this intangible kind of a, it's not a transaction. It's not like one plus one equals two with God. His math is different from our math. But it seems to be, it seems to me, Sarah and I are not the smartest We're not the smartest kids on the block, but it seems to be, we're like, hmm, I'm starting to figure this one out. Here's what I'm starting to figure out. When I do what you ask me to do, God, why does no calamity happen to our family? Just get chills there. Why are we all right at the end of the month? Does that mean no broken wrists on the playground or... Nobody we know passes away. No, it's not. It's, I'm, that's why I say it's not one-to-one like that. But it just seems to be, and it's not transactional, like, okay, God, here's our tithe. Now you take care of us. Like, like God's a bodyguard or something like that. It's not like that. But it's like this general sense of, like, God is caring for us. He's caring for us. And no harm comes near our tent. little Old Testament reference there for you. I just love that about who he is. And as soon as we begin to do that, as soon as we begin to tithe and as quickly as possible and increase that amount, we found that we couldn't afford to tithe until we started tithing. And now we can't afford to stop. I can't afford to stop giving. And over the years, I've had several people tell me that they're not tithing uh, because they give, uh, because they and God have a private understanding. Have you heard that one before? Maybe you're in a private agreement with God. I don't know. Perhaps God's letting you pay off your boat first or finish remodeling projects or fund your retirement before you begin to tithe. 
Nothing wrong with doing all of those things, but let me be clear, God does not make private deals or offer discounts. God has one plan for all of us, and it's perfect and wise and good. So when should the tithe be paid? I heard a young believer um, say once, and I love this, the top dime on every dollar belongs to God. The top dime on every dollar belongs to God. Truth, the truth is that every dime of every dollar belongs to him. And the point is that scripture admonishes us to tithe our first, not our last. Our first, not our last. And in other words, paying our tithes should be at the top of our stewardship responsibility list, not at the bottom. Should not be the last bill we pay if there's any money left over after paying everything else. Here's the amazing thing. When I put this first, I'm usually able to cover my bills. When I don't, I can't. The math, it's all backwards and upside down. But what I found in my journey, and some of you know this, is that when I put the tithe first, there's usually enough at the end of the month. If I put it last, I can't pay my bills. Strange, isn't it? It's so backwards. And so true. It's a matter of conscience if you want to pay off your gross or your net income. Just as a sub point there. People ask all the time, should I pay off my gross or my net? That's a matter of conscience. Frankly, the mathematical formula is less important than the obedience of the act of worship. Pray about it. Do whatever the Holy Spirit prompts you to do. But here's where I personally and Sarah and I have personally lined it. We pay our, uh, our tithe on the same thing that we pay our tax to the federal government, which is gross. Where should the tithe be paid? Scripture says to bring the tithe into the storehouse. I believe that that is the local church. Don't misunderstand. There's tons of parachurch uh, ministries and organizations, and we support some of those fine parachurch organizations and ministries financially through our church. We support Campus Crusade for Christ. We think they're doing a great job of reaching people for Jesus. We want to sow into that. We want to see the harvest of souls. But the structure that God has set up is that the tithes should be paid to the local church that supports the parachurch organizations. That should come from offerings over and above. A related question is that, can I use my tithe to help people in need? Helping people is always a good thing, but scripture never gives me permission to do with my tithe as I choose. Helping people is great. Why? Why should I pay a tithe? Real quick, these are going to be bullet points. Why? What, are, what is the reason? Because God commands it. Leviticus 27, because Jesus commands it. Matthew 23, because tithing demonstrates that God has first place in my life. Deuteronomy 14, because tithing reminds me that everything was given to me by God. Deuteronomy 8, because tithing expresses my faithfulness. Psalms 116, how can I repay the Lord? 
can't repay him for what he's done in my life, ever. Deuteronomy 16, each of you should bring a gift in proportion to the way the Lord God has blessed you. Because God says that refusing to tithe is robbing from him. In Malachi 3, listen to this. God says this. Will a man or woman rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you ask, how do I rob you? God says, in tithes and offerings, bring your whole tithe into the house. Because tithing gives God a chance to prove that he loves me. I want more opportunities to see God's love demonstrated towards me. And he wants to bless me. The Lord says, test me out in this. Later in Malachi, test me out and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing, you won't even have room for it. And I know a lot of prosperity teachers have used this manipulatively. But we, we won't do that here. I'm not, I'm not committed to any of that. I don't get to, you don't get to dictate where the blessing or how much the blessing or from who the blessing comes from. The truth of scripture here, this is God's word, not some prosperity teacher that says just give a little bit more to the ministry. But God says that if you do this, he will open the floodgates of heaven. You'll have so much blessing in your life, you won't even have enough room for it. I'll prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will be protected from the plagues. I love this. This is what my friend said about this. He said, we both agree, him and his wife both agree, that when we live with open hands, money can flow into them and back out. When we talk about the floodgates, this is a perfect example. Listen listen to what my friend says. When we live with open hands, money can flow into them and back out. When we get money and clench our fists, no more money can enter or leave our hands. Beautiful, right? When Jesus is Lord over our money, he teaches us to lay down our selfishness, which changes our hearts. When he's not Lord over our money, we turn to greed and envy. Over the years, we have seen how the Lord has protected us and allowed us to build wealth as we have been faithful in giving. The blessings that flow from trusting Jesus provide peace of mind for ourselves. Peace of mind. You want peace of mind? Start giving. As well as opportunities to help those around us. Beautiful. We experience joy in funding his kingdom because we know the true source of our financial wellness is Jesus. Lastly, because tithing proves that I genuinely love God. Jesus says in John 14, if you really love me, do what I command. If you want to be leaders also in the spirit of cheerful giving, This is one way to prove your love is real, that it goes beyond mere words. Paul said that in 2 Corinthians. Earlier I said, I'd tell you the secret on how to be a cheerful giver. It's really easy. 
just do what we've been talking about. Adopt the humble, content, obedient, faithful attitude of a steward, and then truly make giving an act of worship. Matthew writes about what Jesus said in his gospel. And he said, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. This is the secret on how to be a cheerful giver. When we adopt this reality that's really happening, that we are just stewards here, we're just passing through, none of it belongs to us. How many more times do I have around the sun? I don't know. I mean, none of it's mine. None of it belongs to me, to you. God owns everything. That way, my tithe, my giving can be an act of worship. And I can be like that little boy in our church and just say, Jesus, here's my allowance. You do with it whatever you want. You guys have been so wonderful today putting up with me talking about money. And Sarah and I love doing life with you. And we know that all of our hearts are moving towards generosity, not away from it. And so I hope you heard this morning, I hope you heard from the Lord this morning, not, not my words, but that you heard his truth and what he's calling you to do. I hope that you didn't hear judgment. I hope that you didn't hear manipulation. You, you guys have to know, like, I'm such a, I'm always pointing to my heart, aren't I? Because I'm such a heart guy. I'm a four on the Enneagram. I'm always pointing to my heart. This is my heart. Like, I want you guys to know that I love you very much. And that we are committed here with our body of believers. I'm, I'm literally, out of everything that has happened this morning, I'm literally flabbergasted that so many people sh- showed up this morning in the middle of a snowstorm to hear about money. You guys are an uncommon people. And for uncommon people, God gives uncommon assignments. And our assignment here at Vineyard Cleveland is uncommon. It's not like this at other churches. We're not in it for the show. I'm not, I'm not poo-pooing other churches. We're not in it for the smoke and mirrors. We're not in it for the manipulation. We're not in it for the religious guilt. We just want Jesus. And so this is a huge part of it.